I was sitting in the villager's home uh, one, one evening teaching the, the story of Abraham, how that he had been ordered by God, tested by God to take his son and sacrifice him on the altar as an offering to the Lord. This was exciting because this is such an awesome story of God's provision. And I was getting excited and I wanted, I, I was reading this scripture where the God saw that he was obedient and the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering for his son. I was getting to that part, and I wanted to say, Abraham, look behind you, in Corinth. But instead, I said, just a short vowel misspoke, which literally means, look in your behind, the ram is stuck there. <laughs> and, uh, and they did the same thing, It was they were rolling on the floor, the, the meeting ended at that time. And uh, every time I would review that story, going forward, I could see their shoulders start to shake as I was reviewing this part of the lesson. And I thought, oh boy, thank God for laughter, because... We have to laugh at these things. But I was excited about Jehovah Jireh. This summer we've been looking at the names of God. And, and we've looked at Jehovah before we even started the series. We looked at Elohim, the mighty God over all. Abba, our Father in Heaven. Adonai, our Lord and Master. And last week we looked at El Shaddai, Almighty God, who does provide for His people. And you can listen if you missed one. I suggest getting online and, and re-listening to them and, and getting caught up to where we are. This week we're going to look at Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. And as I was studying this, I've, I've always heard, you know, Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider, but not really knowing the meanings behind the words. We looked at Jehovah a few weeks, a month and a half ago, when we were finishing up our series on um, Proverbs. And the meaning of the word Jehovah, just for review, is the unchanging, eternal, self-existent God. In your notes, if you want to write that down, it's up here, it's a copy of it. I am that I am, and he's a covenant-keeping God, is what that name entails. And that word first appears, Jehovah first appears in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. And it's the most used word for God in all of the Old Testament is this word Jehovah, the unchanging, eternal, self-existent, I am that I am, the covenant-keeping God. But what happens is with this word Jehovah, a lot of times they have what's called um, compound connections, where they'll take this word Jehovah, the self-existent God, and couple it with another word, and it has a new meaning to it that is, just brings reality of, of who God is and who truly is in our, in our life and in the lives of, of other people. And so tonight, this morning, we want to look at Jireh. 
And this is the interesting thing as I was studying this. The, the literal meaning of the word means to see. So how do you get God our provider from to see? One author puts it, as God sees, he also can provide. And we'll see that as we go through this lesson today. So our first situation is Abraham has a problem. If we look in Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So here's the situation. Abraham is going to be tested by God in a really a devastating way. Because this is the, the, the child that he has been waiting for for 25 years. God promised him that he would have a son 25 years ago. He loved this boy. He was 100 years old when he, when he was born. And here he was in this predicament. It was a junction of common sense and faith. It was he going to obey God or, or not. So many times, I want to put our, as we go through this, I want us to think about our own lives. Because there's many times that God has prompted us to do something. Like go on a mission trip, even though I don't, I, I can't afford it, I don't have the skills, I don't have the time. To go uh, give some extra money to someone who's in need, or to a cause, even though you don't have it, to give. To go talk to somebody that you know is struggling, even though it may mean you may be reprimanded at work for taking taking time to share with somebody. Or to even sell your home and move to another location where God can use you more usefully and, and use you more act, uh, intentionally in His work. These are things that, that, that we wrestle with and that God is, has uh, brought Abraham to this point after having this child of promise, what Isaac means, the child of promise, to now go and sacrifice him. That's a big problem. So number two is Abraham's predicament. At this point in our life, I like to call these things a crisis of faith. It's a junction, it's a point in our life that we have to make a decision. This is, this is a crisis of faith. Are we going to trust God? Or are we going to trust in our own common sense? So what was he going to do? Trust him or stick to his own human reasoning? One thing I want us to remember that trials are adverse circumstances introduced by God or allowed in order to, to do two things. One is to uh, see where we're at spiritually. And number two is to prepare us for where he wants us to go. So remember that as we go through trials and testings, those, those two reasons. To see where we're at spiritually and to prepare us for where he wants us to go. And remember last week, P.T. Uh, was talking about um, trials. That if you're alive, you're either going through a trial right now. You're either 
come out of a trial or you're ready to go into one. That's the way life is. Life is full of trials and they are to, to God allows them to see where we're at spiritually and to prepare us for something down the road that he wants us to do or to be or to share, things like that. And so we face these trials and testings all the time. And here was one for Abraham. He said, but God, you said that the world would be blessed through this boy, through Isaac, and now you want me to offer him as a burnt offering. And this type of an offering is not just an offering where you, you, you put him on the altar and you kill him and that's it. It is a total burnt offering. Everything is burnt. And this is what God was asking him to do with his son, his one and only son that he loved. I know I, I, um, Abraham, as he was, God was testing his faith to see if he was going to carry through with this. And he was waiting to see what Abraham was going to do. I know I've probably shared this story with you before, but just as an illustration of how this works in our everyday life, when Helen and I were in Thailand and, and uh, got the letter to come and back and be on staff at Cornerstone here, that was a crisis of faith for us. Because we loved what we were doing in Thailand. We were doing a job that not too many people liked to do. And we were loving doing it. Our ministry was flourishing and, and you know, kids were being challenged and, and I was an elder at the church and worship leading worship. I, man, I was enjoying life. I was just content as could be. I was ready to retire and just live out there the rest of my life. Not to retire, just to work out there the rest of my life. So when that letter came asking us to come back on staff, that was, that was a major crisis for us because we thought, we're not going to do that. I hate the cold weather anymore. And, and, and so we had, to, we had to make that choice whether we were going to obey God or, or we were going to stay and be comfortable in what we were doing. It was like, I could stay there and do what I love to do or come back here and do something that I'm not even sure what I'm going to be doing. The job description that, that I didn't know if I would be able to handle and so it was that crisis of faith that we, we had to struggle with. So what about what did Abraham do in that crisis? Let's look at verse 3 of chapter 22. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And they cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And this is the thing that really encouraged me is that it was like instant obedience. One author was, uh, was uh, relating, you know, he didn't even ask his wife about this. Because he was about 113 years old now, and if he was to tell his wife that God told him to go sacrifice his son, she said, you're insane. Because he, or senile, one of those two. And, uh, but he, did, he didn't do that. And I don't recommend always doing that, because a lot of times in the counsel of many is wisdom, but in this case, God had a plan and a purpose that he wanted to prove himself to Abraham. He was Jehovah Jireh. He was the God who provides. Can you trust me in that? So he took off the next day, there's, um, assuming that it was the next day that he rose and went. His response was one of obedience. 
There's another Old Testament story I wanted to put in here with this. In, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 8, that we find this wealthy Shunammite woman and her husband who blessed Elisha by building a room on top of their house. And anytime Elisha came through town, he would stay there and they would feed him. And he had a place to stay, a lamp and a table that he could do his writing and things. One day, Elisha was talking to his servant Gehazi and asked him, you know, what can I do to bless this family? They've, they've done so many things for me. And Gehazi said, well, um, she doesn't have a son and her husband's old. And so God blessed her with a son. A few years later, though, the son went out into the fields with his dad. And as he went out to the fields, he started complaining of a headache. And so they sent him back home. He got up on his mom's lap and she was holding him. And he died in her lap. What a cruel joke that was. That Elisha would do that. But that wasn't her response. Her response, she took the child and put him up on Elisha's bed and went and got him. And uh, Elisha could tell there was something wrong. So he comes back and he's able to raise his child from the dead. Well, that's not the end of the story. It goes on. In chapter 8, Elisha comes to the woman, the Shunammite woman, and tells her to pack up her family and move away for seven years into the land of the Philistines. Because there's going to be a famine. She was a wealthy woman. And so she could have said, well, you know what, I've, I've got lots of money, I've got... I've got everything I need. I, I really don't need to do that because I can just go and buy whatever I need. But that wasn't her response. She got up and, and she trusted the Lord through the prophet and she left and chose to honor God through that. And, and then God in turn honored her. So look what happened in, in 2 Kings chapter 8 verses 2 to 5. So the, the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. And she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And when he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and land. And Gehazi said, O oh Lord, my king, here's the woman and here's her son whom Elisha restored to life. In 2 Kings 8.6 is, is the finale. And when the king asked the woman, she said to him, she told him, so the king appointed an officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers together with all the produce in the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Isn't that amazing? God was testing her and saying, Are you willing to give this up in order to honor me and, and, and obey me? This was a crisis of faith for her. She had to make that conscious decision to, to move away. She left everything she had. And, and squatters could come in. Other people would come in and farm her land. And these things that they had 
no idea what was going on. In both these cases, Abraham and the Shunammite woman, God was testing to see if they were going to go after the blessing or the giver of the blessing. And if there's, if there's one thing that you get out of this message today, it, it's this. That if your focus is on the blessings that God has given you instead of the giver of the blessings, you are more than likely experiencing a famine or a lack of spiritual fervor in your life. I want you to think about that. Because that is so true. If we're focusing so much on what God has given us and what we have more than, than God himself, then how can God give us that spiritual fervor when we're not focused on that? Or the other way around, if you're not experiencing God's provision in your life, it's probably for the same reason. You are focusing on getting the blessing instead of the provider of the needed blessings. That's the thing that is so important to remember. That where our focus is at, where our heart is at, where, where our life is, is centered around. Is it around our stuff or is it on Him? So remember in, in James 1.17 it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. So every good gift is uh, um, El Shaddai, that Pastor Tim was talking about this week, last week, and then every perfect gift is Jehovah Jireh. So we'll see that in just a minute as we move on. So the third thing is Abraham's provision. Let's look back at Abraham, and this is the thing that, that stood out as I was reading this. Nowhere in that passage do you see Abraham trying to make a deal with God. Instead, we see him stepping out in faith, believing that God would make a way. And we see that in Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19, where it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, whom he had said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even was God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That's amazing. That as he was walking up that mountain, that he believed that God was going to raise him from the dead because the promise was there. Let's look back in, in Genesis 22, verses 4 and 5. It says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And I'm reading from the NIV in this, this one because it, it, I love the way it writes it here. It says, said to the servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. That's faith. He had, he had that trust in the Lord that, that Jehovah Jireh, he believed God, that he would raise him from the dead. And he was set on worshiping the Creator and not the created. He had his priorities in the right, right spot. What were the results of his obedience? In, in verses 5 through 19, we're going to read this section because it, we don't want to skip anything in here. 
says, Then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here, that we are going to go and worship and come back. In verse 6 it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, a uh, wood for the burnt offering, and laid it on his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, uh, his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes, and behold, uh, behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering for his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And an angel of the Lord came to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of all his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man, and he arose and went back to Beersheba. We see here how Jehovah Jireh, the unchanging, eternal, self-existent God, the I am that I am, combined with a seeing God, just provided and was able to uh, to do what he what needed to be done. We see this all throughout history, starting with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God saw that they were sinning, and so He provided provided a way. He said in, in Genesis three fifteen that my He will bruise the serpent's head, but the serpent will bruise His heels. Prophecy predicting that, that the Savior was going to be coming. We see it when in Noah's time, when God saw that the, that the earth was, was full of sin. He, he told Noah to build an ark to save himself and his family. He saw, he provided. God saw that the sinfulness of the earth, that, that we ourselves, there's no way that we can provide a sacrifice that we can be perfect enough to meet God's expectations. That we are sinful creatures, and He provided a way. We're going to look at that in a few minutes more. So, with Abraham, God saw that Abraham was going to obey his son. Someone said that that as, as Abraham was walking up one side of the mountain, God had a ram come up 
and get stuck in the in the bushes from the other side. Abraham did not even see him. The ram was just very quiet. He got stuck in the bushes. One author puts it that I like, I like the way he puts it. He said, God in his prevision gave provision. And that's what I want us to remember that God sees. He is the seeing God, and if God sees, He can provide. There are many times that God allows situations in our lives that we can't get out of ourselves. We're, we're in over our heads. Be it a situation at work, or a financial situation, we lose a job, and we can't make our house payments, or God's taking us someplace that, that uh, we can't do it. It's only by His prevision that we can get through them. That way we will recognize that it's His provision. That's Jehovah Jireh. With his prevision, there is provision. That he can accomplish great work, and it's not on our own. Because how old was Abraham and Sarah? Abraham, 100 years old. When Isaac was born, Sarah, 90 years old. When he was born. And that's, that is physically impossible. For, for on any human aspects, but God made what was dead to come alive, so that she could conceive and, and have a son. So, do you think that when when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, that he began to question God? I don't think so, because he had seen what what God had done to provide a son in his old age. He had seen the angels come down and talk to him and, and what they did in Sodom and Gomorrah and, and what, what they had done when Lot and his family were kidnapped by the enemies. He took his men and they rescued him out. They saw the hand, the mighty hand of God all throughout his life. He had a hundred years, hundred years or more of watching God do some miraculous things. So when God brought this on and said, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. Do you think he could trust God? And I thought, man, what about me? I've seen, I've seen God do some amazing things in my life, in your lives, in the church, and, and around me. I've seen some amazing things. But yet, when a new situation comes up, I, I begin to fret. I think, oh no, this is new one for God. He can't handle this one. i got to try and figure this out. No. Because if God sees, God being... Omniscient. God knows. He, has, he sees everything that's coming. And nothing that comes in our path is taking us, taking God by surprise. Oh, you didn't see that coming, God? Yes, He did. And so as we trust Him in every situation, that He will, His prevision will be able to receive the provision. As we look, as we bring this airplane to a landing here, uh, I want to look at Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34 is just, you know, what are we going to do with all this stuff that, that God promises? So starting in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. I'm skipping some of the verses. Verse 29, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Now you've got enough troubles today. Worry about me today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You don't think I can take care of you? Look at how the birds in the field. We had the, this winter was a tough winter. And the deer were getting skinnier and skinnier. They were rummaging around, foraging around, and they ate my shrubs, which they never did before. I've been there five years, and they've never touched those shrubs. But this year, they were really hungry. God provided for them. I'll shoot them in the fall, but... <laughs> but they are... God saw fit that they did not go hungry. They were able to eat those things. So the next time you are facing a trial of any size, please remember that the unchanging, eternal, self-existent God and the I am that I am and the covenant-keeping God sees and knows all that you're facing and will, with his prevision, give provision to get us through whatever we're facing. So we can ask, I can ask you, where is your ram? Turn around and look behind you. And see God's provision. Because in, in Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If something is following you, you got to be moving. So we can't just stop and say, this is too hard for me. I, I, I'm not going to do anything until I get this solved. No, God says, come on, go. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you. Step out in faith. Believe in what I'm going to do. There's been many times I, I learned how to walk by faith by my mom. As we were driving down the streets one time, I remember this as if it was yesterday. One situation, we were driving through, and we, we were coming up across a big snowdrift that we had to get through to get to our destination. And so she gunned it, and she said, God help us. That's all she said. And and the car hit that snowbank, and then we got through it. These are old station wagons that, that we had. And another time, we were pulling an empty U-Haul trailer on the back of that station wagon, and the guy driving was from Hong Kong, never driven on ice and snow before. And there was a truck that was going, driving for the conditions of the roads. All this, you know those piles of slush that you get in the lanes? He was getting impatient. And so he gunned it and started passing this truck. As he got past it, the trailer hit that slush. And it started going back and forth. It was empty. And it started the whole car fishtailing. And... And it was like it was in slow motion. I had all day to think about this. I could hear my mom praying, God help us get through this. Willie, the guy from Hong Kong, was just yelling, whoa, 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 whoa. My brother started swearing. And, and I had all day to put my hands up on it. This is back before seatbelt laws and everything. So I had my hands up on the dashboard. 
and we headed straight for a tree. And we hit that tree going about 40 miles an hour, and then the trailer buckled the car up and everything. And just my mom's faith in, in getting us through that, I thought, that is amazing. I rolled the window down, the doors wouldn't open anymore. I rolled the window down and crawled out, and that truck that we were trying to pass stopped and helped us out. But just seeing God's prevision gave us provision. Because right where we, we had crashed, there was a farmhouse. And so we were out in the middle of nowhere, so they took us in and let us stay there until the ambulances came. Otherwise, we would have been stuck out in the cold. God's prevision gave provision. So everything that we face in our lives, let's not, let's not forget who we're serving. It's Jehovah Jireh, the self-existent God, sees and he knows what we're going to face. As the worship team is coming back up, uh, let's have a word of prayer.